Hello and welcome to the Bucket List Gamers podcast. I am Jay and I'm once again joined by Eddie. Hello. And we're coming to you this episode from the middle of an absolute hurricane by the sounds of it because Eddie's aerial's rattling on the wall, his internet's looking like it might cough at any minute. It's not looking too much better where I am from looking out the window. So if randomly we do just cut off, that is the reason why we'll try and get normal service resumed and patch ourselves straight back in as quickly as we can. But this episode, we are looking at, well, we we wanted to, after last week's episode, and it was a bit of a downer, and we were incredibly negative, we had a little chat about what game to do next, and we thought we'd better do one that was a bit more uplifting and that we both liked, and then we changed our mind and, and picked Mega Man 2 from 1988 <laughs> instead for the NES. <laughs> We decided we wanted something a bit quick because we've got a couple of other things to talk about as well. So we went with this one because I know it's a beloved franchise and a lot of people really like it, but I don't have a lot to say about it. And I think you're probably in the same boat as me. So we'll we'll cover the bases on it. We'll talk a bit about what we like and don't like and think one list will be shorter than the other one. And then we'll move on to a couple of other things we want to discuss. So... Did you have Mega Man 2 back in the day, I think is the first question, because I didn't. I didn't. I think the only one I ever played was the one for the Game Boy Advance, and I think that was a collected version of mm. past games. But I did. I just didn't get on with it. I think because it's slightly Metroid-esque, but level-based. So I always struggle with that. I prefer the explorative side of Metroid, where you get a weapon, and then you can go back to all the old places and opened the doors and that you've seen on your first trek through there whereas Mega Man isn't that it's it's the similar side scrolling and boss fights but none of the exploration it's just getting from one end of a level to the other with a boss fight at the end which i just thought lost a bit of the charm yeah i feel like it's one i would have enjoyed if i'd have had it back then i mean I, we discussed this just before we came on and i didn't look but i don't know if there was one for game gear but if there was i definitely didn't have it and it's sort of a franchise that completely passed me by as a child. And then I came to find it a little bit later. And by the point that I did, my attitudes towards gaming had changed and precision platforming was no longer in my wheelhouse. I mean, I do enjoy it, but I'm, I mean, I only have to play Mario now compared to how I used to play it when I was a kid. And I know that I'm useless at it now. And I used to be really good. And they're only it only seems to be Sonic that I've managed to continually stay at the same level of skill with. Everything else, I've just got worse and worse. And Mega Man was definitely one of those by the time I started playing it because it just beat the crap out of me. And I don't know if it was two specifically. I have played two because I remember the bosses in two. But I think I would have started on one where the graphics had been upgraded a bit. So an SNES one, so like, I don't know, four or something like that. And yeah, it's just, I mean, I know it's its known for being difficult, but even then, it just it's so difficult in certain places. And, and even right from the start, if you don't know, if you go in and don't know what you're doing and you pick the wrong boss first, because even though you get, so people who haven't played it, you get free reign, don't you? There's eight, usually six or eight levels, eight in everything apart from one. And each one has a different boss. So it'd be like Woodman or Bubble, or Bubble Man or whatever they're called. And you can pick them in any order and complete them in any order, but there is technically a right order to do them in because when you defeat a boss, you get their weapon and some of their weapons are highly effective against some of the other bosses. So 
if you did it out of order, you could still do it, but you're doing it in hard mode, essentially. But you don't know that when you come into it, and you don't know the order. So I suppose that's something that gave it quite a lot of replayability back when it came out, is that you, you had to figure it out yourself. There wasn't the internet you could go and look at and go, oh, so-and-so's weapon's effective against Bubble Man or whatever, so I need to do that first. You had to play through them all and go, right, well, I've got this, I don't know, saw blade from this boss. Logically, it makes sense that that would be strong against this boss, but actually it isn't. And you play through as much as you could, figuring out what was good against what, and then eventually you'd piece together your ideal playthrough and figure out the order, which I, I do appreciate. But when you first come to it, it is a bit daunting because you just no idea. And as somebody who hadn't got much patience left by the time I came to play it, I just didn't have the patience to do that. And then when you combine the fact in that you just get absolutely mullered on some levels, uh, I mean, it's got a normal and a difficult mode. And I don't know what say this to playing it on difficult mode because <laughs> the regular one is bad enough. But yeah, I don't know if, you, if you've had a similar experience in terms of the difficulty of it or whether like precision platformers were your forte anyway back then. I used to really like precision platformers. And by the time I got to playing Mega Man... I think like you, I'd moved on to appreciating different types of gaming. So I'd got very into RPGs. I'd got into slightly more 3D open worldy sort of things, as open world as they were back then. So stuff like Golden Sun, which was a lot more open world and a little bit chrono triggery, um, which was a phenomenal title for the uh, Game Boy Advance. But yeah, by the time I got to this, I was just a bit meh with the whole concept. And I'd played Metroid, I'd played Metroid Fusion, I'd played Metroid um, Super Metroid, and I'd loved those games. And the, it's not exactly precision platforming in those. There are bits of it, but a lot of it you can just drop off the ledges and sort of scoot your way down to the bottom and then slowly jump your way back up. So maybe it w was the fact that I just didn't get on with the pre precision platforming side of things. But then they did sort of a spiritual successor back in 2012 called Mighty Number no. 9, <laughs> um, which was sort of another kickstarted project and the fans massively wanted it because it was the spiritual successor to Mega Man that everyone wanted. And unfortunately, it was just utter shit. So I tried it because everyone was like, oh, it's the new Mega Man, it's the new Mega Man. So I tried it and I was like, this is just awful. This is so bad. And I think that's just tarnished the reputation of Mega Man for me, to be honest. Yeah, that's why I was laughing when you mentioned it then, because it is widely regarded as one of the worst things to come out of a Kickstarter video game, isn't it? It it took yeah. them forever to deliver it. They didn't deliver what they promised. It It was widely hated by everyone who should have loved it. And I don't think they ever improved it, did they? Did they just wash the hands of it and go, yeah, that's it, that's all you get in? Because at one point it genuinely looked like it wasn't going to come out, isn't it? I think, did they run out of yeah. funding or there was something happened where they were like, no, we're not doing it. And I think, again, was it the the assistance of the fans that got it over the finishing line? And then when they did, they just, everyone hated it. And I remember that being a big thing. And had I loved Mega Man, I think I'd have been in the same boat. I'd have probably backed it and... Because like if they'd ever did a Sonic Kickstarter, for example, I'd, I'd definitely back it because I love Sonic games. So if I loved Mega Man games, I'd be in the same boat. But I just never did, and I don't. It doesn't make sense why I don't like Mega Man games because they are everything that I used to love as a game, 
I mean, the precision platforming I used to love, the fact that you get a blaster and you can upgrade and change all the different weapons. I mean, one of my favourite games on Game Gear when I was younger was uh, one of the Shinobi ones where you got, I think there was five or six different ninjas and they all did different things. So you started off with the bog standard red, I think, and then pink could throw bombs. One of them could stick to ceilings. They all had different and you could switch between them. And I love that, and that was a bit precision platformery. So really, Mega Man should have been right down my alley. I love the sprite work. I love the character designs. I think they're really cool. But for some reason, yeah, it just never clicked with me, and I never got into it, and I just can't play them for very long now. I try, and I just get destroyed and frustrated and then stop and move on to something that's a bit simpler. And that's probably my old age showing as to, to why that is. But unlike Shenmue, I know it started it and said we went the opposite way and went with something that we don't like. I don't like it personally, but unlike Shenmue, I can appreciate why other people do like it and and all the merits of it. Whereas Shenmue, just no, I can't understand why anyone likes playing that game. Whereas this, I get it. I get fully why people worship this game because it, for the most part, controls quite well. It looks nice. It plays all right if you've got the patience to play it. So I do appreciate it. It's just not one for me. Yeah, it's got very much the air of ghouls and goblins about it in terms of the difficulty and the fact that enemies keep respawning in. <laughs> yeah. So you literally pixel yourself onto the sort of like the next bit of the screen and then you go, Oh, I didn't want to do that. You step back and the enemies you've just killed that have just spent the last twenty minutes causing you a problem have respawned in. So you're just like, Oh for f sake. Right, okay. And it does have that air of back when video games were challenging yeah and yeah definitely i think at some point for me anyway it just puts its foot over the line into taking the pit in terms of but that may have been again my perspective because i did it out of order yeah. or not the intended order anyway and i went into a level flush with confidence because i've managed to finish the first level and it was level eight and I went in, <laughs> yeah. and they just creamed me. And I was just like, no, this no, this just isn't for me anymore. You can sod off, Mega Man. And I just I put it down and never picked it up again until Mighty Number no. 9, which just came and pissed all over it. I think you're right. I think it just pushes that envelope. Because it, it does lots of things that other games do that make them difficult, but it does them all. It doesn't just yeah. pick a couple of them. Respawning enemies, very, very tight jumps... I can't remember if there's knockback damage. I don't think there is, so that's one that it doesn't do at least. But there is fall damage from what I remember. So if you fall from too high a ledge, you take damage, I think. So it does all these little bits that other games do to make them difficult, but then wraps them all into one parcel and says, here you go, try and get through all this. And that, yeah, like you say, it just pushes it just that little bit too far for me. And if you if you are into that kind of completely punishing I mean, modern-day equivalents, Elden Ring, Dark Souls type thing, where you just keep getting destroyed until you learn the patterns and you figure out exactly how hard to push the jump button to get across this gap without skidding off the platform and going off the other side. It's a perfect game for you, but for me, that's not why I play games these days. No, um, and I think I think the bosses are probably the easier bit of it. Once you've got the patterns down, so once you've done mm. your initial walk in, get smeared all over the walls and ceiling by the boss, and then you go at it again, and then you go at it another couple of times, you go, okay, I get your sort of patterns now. It's the lead up to that 
that's the problem, that's the real off-putting bit of it. Because the enemies, even your basic enemies, have these weird little projectile attacks that don't sort of follow any natural trajectory that you're used to as a gamer. So you're used to something throwing like a, a, a bomb in an arc, and you know that if you duck or you move forward a little bit, it'll just carry over the top of you and it'll miss you. These f***ers don't do that. They seem to just fall a little bit short. So you step forward thinking, ha got you here, and it'll still hit you anyway. And I think that's kind of the boss side of things. I could be fine if there was a boss rush mode. I could probably sort of like, yeah, I can get my head around this. I can sort of work my way through this a piece at a time. It is the level build up to it and the, the amount of enemies and the bullshit attacks that they've some of them have got. Yeah, so that that's kind of what puts its uh, nail in its coffin for me. Yeah, I had a quick go on Mega Man 2 just to refresh my memory before we started recording and I did a couple of levels. And one of the levels I started... Fair enough, I'd accidentally put it in difficult mode, so I don't know if this is the case for normal mode. But the first enemy I encountered was a huge metal frog on a raised platform above you that spits out three little baby frogs onto the platform below that then hurt you. And you can't really hit it from the platform behind because it's too far away. And there isn't much of a gap between these three little frogs that it spits out. And I, there probably is a way. I couldn't figure a way out of killing that enemy without taking quite a bit of damage standing in amongst these projectiles that it was spitting out. And I get the feeling that they designed some of the enemies where you cannot avoid damage. I'd be surprised. I, I assume you have to be very, very skilled to do a no damage run on any of the Mega Man's because some of the screens are just designed where you're going to have to take a hit. And to its credit, it's quite generous with health power-ups. Yeah, it, it is genuinely quite unlikely that you will die from taking too much damage you generally die from falling off a platform. That is the main source of... Because it's all platforms, isn't it? You very rarely get a level where there isn't gaps and pitfalls in the floor that will kill you on in an instant when you fall into them. So that's where you lose most of your lives. The, the sort of fire from the enemies, maybe in later levels it does, but in the earlier ones, you tend to get power-ups and, and health benefits from everyone that you kill. So... You're just constantly topping your health up. That's one thing I don't like about Mega Man, though. When you fill up health or energy or whatever, it freezes the whole game while your meter fills up, and it just completely breaks me out of the immersion of it because yeah. you run into Seaway, and you might be planning a run and jump, and then you'll collect a power-up halfway through the run, and it just freezes the game while your energy bar fills up, and then you carry on, and you have to adjust for that second or two that it breaks the the gameplay up and i suppose once you've done it a while you get used to it but for me coming from something like sonic which is go 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 fast pace sprint to the other side of the screen as fast as you can this is much more methodical isn't it and you've got to get your head around that change and really plan your moves and it's not one to be rushed yeah um and it, for some reason the the game seems to take an extraordinary large amount of glee in spawning enemies in diagonal locations from you. And you can't aim diagonally properly in the game because of the fact that it's a D-pad. So you've got to sort of hold your thumb and finger on the D-pad to get that sort of angle. Because it was before shoulder buttons, because obviously Super Metroid on the SNES had actual shoulder pads, so you could aim diagonally. And obviously the Game Boy Advance had them, DS and all that. But yeah, it was before the time in which you could 
properly aimed diagonally without finger manipulation and it always seems to be on a diagonal platform in front of you that spits projectiles in an arc that just hits you yeah regardless of where you stand because you're trying to sort of hop and jump and shoot it while you're in midair and yeah it just creams me every time it's got to be intentional the way they've done oh, that. Yeah. it can't just be accidental they've done that to frustrate you and if that is the aim it's perfect it, it really I mean, I know I'm slating it and singing its praises at the same time. I just, I do appreciate what they did. And I think they, they've made an amazing franchise of games from not very much. And, and one fact I did read, which was really cool, was that from Mega Man 2 onwards, the bosses were not designed as much, but named by fans. So after Mega Man 2, they put a like a public opinion thing out and said, what bosses would you like to see in the next game? And people came up with the names. And then they built the robots round the names that they liked the best, which I thought was pretty cool to get that that level of interaction with fans in sort of what the early nineties, late eighties, early nineties is is quite special, I suppose. A lot of games wouldn't have been doing that kind of thing back then. No, and that that probably sort of speaks volumes of the fan base, to be fair, because that's probably why they've got such a hardcore fan base. I mean, there's a hundred and thirty plus Mega Man games, whether it's Mega Man, Mega Man X, every single different series, ultimately you've got 130 plus, not including sort of like the small spin-off games that you get from it or the collected versions, but 130 single titles for a single franchise that, realistically speaking, it's not a particularly well-spoken, well-regarded franchise by gamers as a whole. Really, you don't you don't hear many people say, "Really, what's your favorite game of all time? Mega Man or Mega Man Two or, or Mega Man X?" It, it's one of those that people will have played potentially if if they were young enough, because I think the modern versions are quite niche in. Mm. I think the last one was 2018, potentially. So it was a good long while ago. But yeah, the, you don't hear many people talk about Mega Man. No, not in not in the, like you say, in the conversation of your Sonics, your Marios. Because, I mean, Mega Man was Capcom's flagship character, wasn't it? For years, it yeah. was their thing. Mega Man was the thing. And then I was reading before we started recording, I think it was on Screen Rant, like eight interesting facts about Mega Man. And I think they had a falling out with the guy who created it uh, around 2010, maybe. And that's when he dropped off the face of the earth in terms of Capcom. They just wanted nothing more to do with the character. So whether he held the license to the character itself, I don't know if it's that or whether it's bitterness and they didn't want to use, I don't know. But I assume that's been patched up if they've made another one more recent than that. But yeah, back then, that's the reason Capcom just went from Mega Man's everywhere to no, he's he's nothing we want to sing and shout about. But like you say, he doesn't get mentioned in best games of all time platformers very often. And I, maybe that is a bit harsh because it's as influential a franchise as, I don't know, off the top of my head, Bomberman. But I've heard yeah. a lot more people talk about Bomberman than I ever have Mega Man. And I don't know if that's just the circles that I move in, and we all because we all had Bomberman when we were younger, and we used to go around each other's houses and play it, and and it was a more inclusive experience, I suppose, wasn't it? Because if you had a, a the the means to, you could do a four player 
Bomberman, it was absolute chaos. Whereas Mega Man, it's is there a two player on some of them where it's like turn based? I can't even remember now. I, I think there is because they they sort of paralleled it with Mighty Number no. Nine because I think the two main characters in Mega Man are called Rock and Roll. Yeah, yeah. And I can't remember what they called the ones in Mighty Number no. Nine. Uh, it's Beck and Call. Uh, so one's called Beck and one is called Call. So it, yeah, so I think they tried to do an, a natty little parallel with the the juxtaposition of the names um, in Mighty Number no. Nine. Having said that, you don't hear a lot about it. Bomberman has had some stinkers when it oh, comes yeah, to yeah. releases, whereas you never ever hear. Jesus Christ! Do you remember that um, Mega Man game? That was utter oh, I don't shite. Know. Outside of Mighty Number no. Nine, Mega Man Soccer, I don't think is appreciated by many people. <laughs> okay, mainline games because <laughs> Bomberman <laughs> yeah. was it was it Bomberman for the Xbox that went. Hardcore yeah, where... and tried to be realistic, and that was shocking. Whereas, like a robot, and it was was it first person or something, which yeah. is never going to work in a Bomberman game. I mean, the Bomberman game that came out for Switch is really well regarded, and I'm awful at it. And I don't know if that's because, again, my abilities have changed over the years and swung to different types of games, or whether it genuinely was quite difficult. But I just felt. The controls on it felt really, really sensitive. Like you barely touched a direction, and he was whizzing off in that direction. And obviously, when you're trying to precisely hide behind blocks and not get blown up, you want something a little bit more sluggish on the analog stick, probably. But me and a mate played the two-player career mode, and we couldn't get past the first boss. It just kept annihilating <laughs> us. So that it probably speaks to my skill levels more than anything. But yeah, just as a comparison, I feel like the people that I game with would remember Bomberman a lot more fondly than Mega Man, even the ones that played both. And I don't really get why that is, because like we said, Mega Man really does what it does really well. It's just not one for us. But yeah, one of the other interesting facts, which you touched on then in my Seven Facts article that I read that I'm just going to completely steal for this <laughs> for the purposes of talking about it on this podcast, it was originally called Rockman in Japan. And that's why they're called rock and roll. And it was all music themed. So what the West knows as Proto Man in the Japanese one is called blues, as in the precursor to rock and roll. So it's all got the musical. And some of the characters do translate into musical. I think there's one called bass and stuff like that. So there is the musical element in ours. But yeah, originally it was going to be called rock man. And they didn't think the Western audience would take to it for some reason. So they changed it to Mega Man. Strange, strange decision, but there you go. It's an interesting franchise, I think, and it's one that I would like to like. I just don't have the patience. And I know they've branched off into other types of games now, haven't they? So it's not, apart from Mega Man Soccer, which we won't go into, they have done some different genres of games recent, like more recently for Mega Man. So I might actually check out some of the other games, not not the mainline ones, but maybe a couple of spin-offs and see if there's any part of the franchise I can enjoy because I do want to. It's just, I just can't, I can't. It stresses me out and I get frustrated and I would it would be a, a pad through the, the TV situation after too long. <laughs> so I just, I can't do it anymore. Yeah, and also another interesting fact, I've just remembered another one. The character's based off of Astro Boy, you know, the Japanese cartoon. You can tell. Yeah. <laughs> there is a look. There's a look, and I think there's certain aspects of the character, like the unerring passion for justice and 
like always being cheery about what's happening, even though it's you're in the worst situation imaginable and all that kind of thing, I think comes across from Astro Boy as well. Yeah, and there's the whole you're you're the sort of incorruptible robot because all the other robots yeah, yeah, that yeah. have been created have been manipulated and had a, a virus uploaded into them, so they've all gone evil, and you're the incorruptible one, which is Astro Boy because he's you know he's he's Link basically, he's the incorruptible hero, and it, yeah, you can see the sort of parallels there definitely and ironically is it ironic i can never tell whether something's ironic or not astro boy had an absolutely horrific game <laughs> made uh, which i've seen people playing on youtube so yeah. yeah they may as well they may as well have just licensed it to Mega Man back in the day and just made an astro boy game and gone with that which i'm surprised they've not done a crossover or put it in as a special character or something because companies like that tend to like to work together eventually don't they and Mega Man's seen his fair share of crossovers. He's been in, has he been in like Marvel versus Capcom and stuff like that? He, every single one, I think. So yeah, he's quite a popular. Bit out of the comfort zone, not out of comfort zone as much as Mega Man Soccer, which <laughs> I will keep bringing up because it is absolutely horrific. <laughs> I mean, I like football games, and even I struggled to enjoy that one. It is just bad. Everything about it. it's it's got cash in written all over it. Like we've we've designed this terrible football game and we need a mascot to stick on it to make it sell. I'll just stick Mega Man's face on it. And when you look at Mario Strikers, which the new one isn't a good game by any stretch compared to the GameCube version, it just destroys Mega Man Soccer on on every level. So you that you yeah. can tell how bad it was. And I think, if I remember rightly, didn't Mega Man make it into Smash Ultimate as well? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's in one of the Smash games, isn't he? I can't remember which one. Yeah, I'm sure it's Ultimate. So, yeah, I mean, scoring it, I don't feel like we can be too harsh because it's... I know we always say, it's, would we play it or not? But I think I would play Mega Man. I'd get frustrated with it really quickly and stop playing it. But I wouldn't sort of go, oh, no, I'm not touching that with a barge pole. You know what I mean? I I played it for about half an hour before we started recording and I wasn't immediately put off and like I never want to see this again and it, it's got a lot more going for it than Pac-Man or Tetris for instance yeah like you said I would be inclined to go away and try some of the Mega Man games even even some of the spin-offs aside from soccer <laughs> I'd be inclined to at least go away and consider trying them if they came to me with a Pac-Man spin-off I'd tell them to shove it up their um, I, w- I wouldn't be interested in, in at least trying it. Wouldn't be bothered. Whereas Mega Man, I sort of feel like I missed out. Yeah, and yeah. I do feel like I missed the boat on it. But at the same time, I kind of would like to try it. Even now, with my aged wrists mm. and my slower reflexes. <laughs> that said, the Pac-Man spin-off where you don't control him and you shoot him with a slingshot, I actually have quite a soft spot for because that is far more interesting than the actual game. Uh, I do have something to mention about Pac-Man, but we'll come to that shortly. Let's give Mega Man a score first. So, I don't know, I'm tempted to go around the like the 60s, 50s to 60s, because it's, it's not offensive, it doesn't upset me. I just never got on board with it, but I'm not opposed, like you say, to trying, especially some of the new ones where it looked quite good and the controls are a bit tighter than the old ones because the old ones are a little bit floaty, aren't they? Because a lot of yeah. games tended to be back then. But yeah, I'm definitely not opposed to trying it. I just, number two, 
I don't think I could get on with, which we've got to factor in because it is two that makes the list, which is regarded as, well, it's the best selling of the whole franchise and it's regarded as one of the best, but it, it looks a bit dated now, dare I say. It doesn't control as well as some of its sequels. But when you compare it to the first one, leaps and bounds ahead, you can see the development they made, adding in two bosses, tightening it up, putting in, I think, a lot more of the this boss, defeating this boss will help you defeat this boss aspect of it. They really expanded on that. So, yeah, I'd be pushing for, a, I don't know, like a 58, 59 at least. If you want to go, yeah, higher. I was, I was gonna, I was gonna say anything between fifty-eight and sixty-two. To be fair, Th- those were my sort of ballpark figures. Uh, that Let's give it a out. sixty. Yeah. We'll give it a sixty just to be nice round number for it, because I think it it probably deserves more. And if it was two people that loved the franchise a bit more than we do, I think it's one of those that have been with a shout for like seventy, eighties. It's just. We decided when we started this list that we'd do our personal preference, didn't we? Rather than be clouded so much by how well the games go with other people. And for us, that's probably where it sits. I mean, if, if anyone's coming to these episodes after 43 of them, expecting a an impartial, unbiased opinion <laughs> after the Shenmue episode, I think they are going to be sorely disappointed. So with that out of the way, we've got three other things to talk about. And I'm going to kick it off by talking about the uh, the Game On exhibition at the Doncaster Dome. We were invited to attend on Friday last week. Unfortunately, Eddie got stranded in Wales <laughs> and couldn't make it. So I went along with another friend who is linked to the podcast and we went and checked it out. And it was brilliant. It was really good. It's a lot bigger than you first think. So you walk in and there's a row of consoles and a couple of arcade cabinets and you walk around the corner and there's a load more consoles set up with TVs. And you think, oh, wow, this is quite big. And we spent probably half our time in that area playing on all those games. So we played, got to play on Odyssey, which I never thought I'd do, which was really cool. I got to play on uh, original Space Invaders cabinet with the huge, big glowing eyes sat on the top of it. And... I've never been a huge fan of Space Invaders, but playing it on that cabinet with the authentic sounds and the authentic controls really got into it. And then next to it was Pac-Man. And I was like, well, I need to give it a go just to say that I have. And I don't know what they'd done to it because I wasn't the only one that commented on this. Another chap we were talking to also commented on this. But they turned the speed up on it or something. So (laughs) Pac-Man, absolutely. But the ghosts didn't seem to go any quicker. But Pac-Man did, and just playing with a joystick, like a proper micro-switched joystick, changed the experience of Pac-Man completely. I must never have played it in a proper arcade cabinet because I was actually enjoying it with that controller and and going around, and the, the pace of it might have helped because he was flying around the board and I was doing quite well, but genuinely got some enjoyment out of Pac-Man, which I never thought I would say. So there was that, and then we went round and played... There's Soul Calibur on one of them. We played that. We played on a, an Atari and a Commodore 64, a couple of games on some of those. I played Super Monkey Ball for a bit on one of them because somebody had left it right at the end of a, a level and I was like, I can't just leave it on this last level, so I need to finish it. So I got obsessed with that. We played this really weird Super Famicom game that I can't remember the name of it. It was something sports, and it, a Hyper Sports, I think, or something like that. And it, it had its own pad, which for some reason was reversible so it said on the thing jump and run 
but then it said above it jump and run upside down you could hold the pad two different ways and i don't i still don't know why because there was only one right way to hold it but we were playing on that and i don't know if it it might be because you could play it two player past the pad so i'm wondering yeah. if it expects you to sit opposite each other and then just be like right it's your turn right it's your turn but it started off with like a clay pigeon shooting game and you've literally two buttons on this pad that's the only controls you've got and the clay pigeons would fly across the screen and there's two squares that go up and down. And as the clay pigeons pass through the square, you press left or right button. And it doesn't sound very good, I accept. But it was so addictive. We were sat playing it. We must have played it for 20, 30 minutes. Just trying to... Because you had to get like a certain 2,400 or something to qualify. And we didn't really know what that meant. But we like, and we kept going and I kept getting better. And then I just had this, like, I went into this mode where it was the only thing I could see. I just blanked everything out. And I was just focusing on these clay pigeons and this pad. And I was like, bang, bang, bang. It's like watching Rain Man counting cards. I was just slamming the buttons. <laughs> and I got, like, a ridiculously high score. And we're like, oh, yeah, we've done it. And then we went to walk away. And it loaded up like a long jump. And I was like, hold on, what's this? Like, It's not just clay pigeon shooting. And it turns out it's like an Olympic Games type thing where you qualify from one event and you get to play the next one. But if you're rubbish at one of them, you'll never see the events that are after it because you can't skip <laughs> through them. So we did the clay pigeon shooting one, got onto this long jump one, and it was impossible. I don't know how you meant to do it because you were meant to tap run really quickly to build your speed up and then hit jump to do a triple jump. But I never even got close to the sandpit. And it just gave me three fouls and I was like game over. And then I had to do all the shooting bit again to get back to it. And then we left it for a bit and we were playing FIFA 94 or something on the machine next to it. And it started running, you know, like a little demo reel where it shows somebody who's meant to know how to play it, playing it. And they did the long jump and they got like a toe in the sand. I'm not even sure. And I was like, that's somebody who's meant to know how to play it. So what chance have I got on it? It's not like they did this like seven meter jump or something. They got like 0.1 meter and, and that was classed as a victory. And I was like, this is ridiculous. But yeah, we, we got out of that bit and went around the corner and there's just loads more. There was like Guitar Hero, Parappa the Rapper, Sonic, Mario, some PC games. Like they were, I think there was a, a Warcraft one set up that you could play. There was some weird dating sim that I've never heard of where you click through all the dialogue options. And then you went a little bit further and there was a Wii. You could sit and play Wii Bowl into your heart's content if you wanted. And there was a load of little consoles. And then they got every console or pretty much everyone had a little description of the game that was on it and what console it was and what year it came out. So you get a bit of history. And then just around the next corner, there was a Virtual Boy, which I never, ever thought I'd get to play on. And I played Mario Tennis on it. And I got a headache after about a minute. It is, it re- it's not a fabrication when people say these things are harsh on your eyes. It was so harsh on the eyes. And it looks cool, though. It really does look for its time. It was amazing what they did with it. But, yeah, you couldn't play that for long at all, I wouldn't have thought. And then in the next room, they'd got a full, I think it might have been an eight-player, a six- or an eight-player Smash Brothers set up. They'd got a six-player Bomberman set up, ready to play. They got three computers or four computers with Halo Two on that you could do a like a linked game between all four consoles, so you could all play against each other. And then they got the full rock band set up, so drums, microphone, guitars, the whole thing. So you could put a band together and do a full rock band performance on this huge TV. And then right at the end, they got like Donkey Kong cabinets, and they got Centipede, Robocop Two, Virtua Fighter. 
so there's all these cabinets at the end as well so yeah there's loads we we didn't get to play on half of it because we just wasted well not wasted but spent ages in the first bit thinking this was it and then went around the corner and found we'd we'd seen like a quarter of it we are planning on going back aren't we at some point to check it out so we can see it together and you can see it and i can play a few more things and and do that but yeah i definitely recommend if you're in the vicinity of doncaster or you're within traveling distance i would definitely recommend it it's on until some point in april so you've got ages to do it the weekends are getting booked up quite quickly so if you want to come on a weekend get on the website Um, i'll put the link in the description of this episode get your tickets booked early because the weekends are just selling completely out and we were quite lucky on the friday because there was hardly anyone in because we'd gone to the last session on the friday so we got our pick of the things but i can imagine when it's full you might have to queue for a couple of things that you want to play on but yeah it it is well worth it and and a couple of people have asked me is it worth the price because i think it's like 17 quid probably with a booking fee and people have said oh you can go to retro dome or you can go to these places for cheaper than that and stay in there all day you're not limited so this is an hour and 45 minute sessions and yeah, it would be cheaper and you'd have a lot more choice at a retro dome or one of those types of places. But there are stuff in this that you will not get to play anywhere else. You won't get to play a Virtual Boy at a retro dome. You won't get to play on some of the old consoles that are in there. A lot of the consoles you won't get to play at retro domes and stuff. They'll have new up-to-date ones and that'll be about it. And also the amount of research and information that's on every thing to read it's not a thing to really go into and just play the games. It really is to find out more about the history of the games and stuff, which is really cool. So I think the price, although sounds a little bit much, isn't. It's it's really fair value for what it is. So yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd definitely recommend it. And we're going to do a full episode on it, I think, once we've both been and experienced it. And we might do a couple of videos or something and chuck them up on the YouTube channel Um me beating Eddie at FIFA or something like that because that's probably the only <laughs> chance I've got to beat not, him on a game. Not going to be hard. <laughs> I just thought I'd mention that because we, we're not sponsored or anything but they did ask us to go along and check it out and it, it was really good and it's local to us and I always like to, to sing the praises of local things. We we want to go and check out the, the video game museum in Sheffield at some point as well. That's on our radar to go and do. So if you are into your video gaming, I would definitely recommend heading over there and checking out what they've got on offer. Uh, But with that one covered, the other two things we've got to discuss, do you want to take the first one, Eddie, or do you want me to just cover it off because I have got the article open, whereas I'm guessing I've sprung that on you and you might not have? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you go ahead. So there was an article in the news. This Actually, it was just before Christmas, but it was uh, shared on one of our timelines and we picked up on it and had a look at it. So there's a game called Iron Lung that's that got a lot of coverage recently because of the submarine that ended up disappearing and exploding. I can't remember the exact name of it. The one that was controlled with like a, a Mad Cat's controller. Anyway. The, Titanic <laughs> 2. Yeah, that, that disappeared and, and blew up. There's a game called Iron Lung, which, yeah, has been getting a lot of a lot of attention because it's, it's about being stuck in a submarine, essentially. People have sort of hyped it up as this cult game. I mean, it's, it's on Steam and it, it's relatively cheap, but that's where the issue sort of arises from. So David Siminski, who, who developed the game, has decided to put the price up by a whopping $2 from $6 to $8, and people have lost their shit over it 
and said that what he's a, a money grubber. I know he's a money grubber and he he shouldn't do this kind of thing to people and he should he should develop games for the love of developing games etc and we've got mixed feelings on this I would say I don't know your opinion I mean to the people I'm assuming the people that say that are saying you know he should just develop games for the love of it are the people that sit on internet forums trying to find the names and addresses of people that insist we need to pay for like streaming services and stuff like that because they don't (laughs) want to basically so they're trying to hunt us down and and lock us down because we're we're supporting the man and it's just like (laughs) i appreciate the the sentiment of you should do something that you love for the love of it and I think there are plenty of people potentially listening to the podcast who are in jobs who have to do the job, not because they love the job, but because they have to, to pay bills and it's not what they wanted to do with life. I think everyone has been there at some point in their life. And to the person that says you should just do it, not to make the money, but because you love it, I say f*** off. Because that is just, <laughs> that is that is wonderfully communist ideal thinking but down in the real world (laughs) people need money and and i'm not sure you know how sort of commercialism works but (laughs) you do it to make a buck that is that is how the the way the world works unfortunately so i don't understand people saying oh you should just do it and not try and make any money off it because no one would get anywhere with that mentality it's a nice sentiment but the reality of it is it is not a viable option to just do something for the love of it. Well, David's been quoted as saying, and I agree with the majority of his quote. There's one bit in it I don't agree with, which we'll come to, but he's quoted as saying, once again, Iron Lung's price went up because the game is worth $8, so I want to charge $8 because I want to earn money. If you don't agree with the price, I don't want your money. Go and pirate it or something, I don't care. (laughs) <laughs> the price change was announced <laughs> the price change was announced in October and went into effect in November. When people said that he was just in it for the money, his response was yes, no fucking shit. I make games for a living. If I didn't want to earn money for them, I wouldn't charge money for them. I like the business model of I want money so I make something that I think is worth money and you pay me that money and you get the thing and we're all happy. <laughs> Which I completely agree with. And the the fact that he gave people warning that it was going to go up. So you had a month to go and buy this at the $6 if you really begrudged him the extra, what is it, like £1.30 in our money that he's put it up yeah. by. Um, the the only bit I take umbrage with is the fact that he says it's worth $8. I've seen this game and I don't think it necessarily is worth $8. Not to me anyway. To people who like that kind of game or to people who want to make profit out of streaming it, which I think is the main audience for this game, is people streaming it to get money, then yeah, probably worth $10, $15, $20 because they're going to increase that tenfold by getting streams and donations and whatnot and YouTube views and ad revenue. But for me, I don't think... It it looks like a PS2 era game and the, the gameplay of it, unless I'm missing something, looks like the most tedious thing in the world. And I don't really get why people are describing it as one of the most terrifying games ever, because nothing seems to happen in it from the Let's Play videos I've seen. But maybe I'm missing something. I think I think if I was going to be charitable, I would say that it's probably 
it, it looks like not a lot happens in it because it's trying to build tension. Oh, it's a one-man project, which, for what he has managed to create, is is quite impressive. Oh, um, absolutely, it's yeah. Not far beyond something I'd be able to do. Um, not not taking away from not not to have a go at him at all, no. or take away from what he's done. Personally, I just don't think it's a game I could find enjoyment in playing. And yeah, like you say, the the graphics option I think is a style choice. I don't think it's because yeah. he can't do any better than that. He's gone for that style choice, which is great. And the gameplay, if you're into that, because it's almost puzzle-like, isn't it, in that you've got a map and you plot courses to places on the map using dials within the submarine. But then I've seen every so often like a, a fire might break out and you have to go and put that out so it's almost got that five nights at freddy's feel to it of your having to do multiple things at once yeah do you know i was because it's got those sort of fixed cardboard cutout looking parts to it because i don't want to spoil the bits of the game that i have seen but there are jump scares in it and they are very much the original five nights at freddy's this sort of cardboard cutout just slams in front of your screen and you get a bit of a jump scare from it compounded by an amnesia-esque yeah. sort of oppressive atmosphere because you are stuck in the bottom of at the bottom of the ocean in this tiny little tin can submarine that's got a bit of um st- a steampunk feel about it so it's probably more amnesia a machine for pigs the second one about it and it's it just it just seems to build the tension so you you don't feel like anything's happening and then something happens and it the videos we've seen were what like 9 minutes long for like a full playthrough i think the longest i saw was 40 minutes and i think there was a lot of it wasn't a, a let's play it was a talking about the game with clips interspliced so yeah, I think it it's it's it, I mean, and fair play to him. It even says in the Steam description that this is not a long game. You're not getting a long game out of this. You're getting an experience, which is fair enough. And it's one of them. I'd quite happily pay eight dollars for it to support him. Now I've read this article. I've no interest in playing that game. I mean, maybe we'll get it and play it together on and record it. But I'd quite happily send him eight dollars for this game just to support the fact that he's getting all this flack from people that feel that entitled that they should have a game for what price they deem they want to pay for it rather than what price he values his work at yeah definitely i mean when you consider this stuff like my name is mayo Mm. which is which is a pound uh, and they've done about four versions of it and the entire gameplay is a a picture of a hand on a screen and you are tapping jars of mayonnaise with various <laughs> backgrounds in the background and it's on it's on Xbox it's on PS5 it's on PS4 and you get achievements for however many times you've clicked on this jar of mayonnaise and someone is charging a pound to just click on a screen by pressing the X button that is all you do there is very little other gameplay other than selecting different things from the menu where it pops up different backgrounds and stuff like that there are those kind of games, or like cat petting simulators for three ninety nine. And you think this yeah. is a genuine game that has gameplay and builds a sort of tension, rather than just this virtual hand in cyberspace stroking an imaginary cat. And it's like you can't criticize someone for trying to bring their vision to life 
and it wanting to make a little bit of money out of it. Because uh, it's not a lot. I mean, eight quid, what, that's two coffees. It's not even eight quid, it's £6.30 in our money. For, okay, for so it's a coffee listeners. and a half. <laughs> yeah, it's nothing, is it? It's just, it's so, yeah, it's so tight for people to be like, how dare you put this up by... If he'd have put it, if, if it had got popular because of the submarine thing, and the the sort of, the second all that started kicked off, he went, right, I'm putting it up to like $30 because yeah. of how popular it's got. Then, yeah, you could have a problem with it. But wanting to earn $2 per person extra to support what I assume is him developing another game... So it's it's not even like he's just doing it to, I mean he's not going to live high off the hog with two dollars a person anyway, is he? <laughs> so it's it's almost nothing. But it, if it makes his life a little bit easier and lets him be more creative and do something else, it's just the entitlement that really gets to me of people thinking they can dictate to people what they think something should be worth. And and like he even said in another quote that I didn't read out. It goes in like the big steam sale or whatever it is and comes down to like three or four dollars periodically. So just yeah. wait till then if you're that desperate to get it and you don't want to pay eight dollars. It just it, it wound me up and I just as as some as people who are appreciative of every penny we get for doing this, I'd like never dream of then going to someone else and going, Oh, you shouldn't charge that much for what you do. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah. it's just not, not right. I, uh, the thing that galls me most about the entire situation is the people that are saying it's a rip-off, you shouldn't be upping the price by $2, are the people that will either A, have paid 80 quid for Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. uh, at that point, you you cease to have an opinion. You don't. Ha- you should not be able to express your opinion if you're one of those people that goes, oh, well, I pay 80 quid every year for FIFA, but I disagree with paying $8 for an indie title because it's not developed by <laughs> yeah. EA. One, fuck off. And or two, they're the people that will criticise him for putting the price up, but know how to get around it and will just illegally download it anyway. Regardless, And it's like, you can't have both. These people that are complaining he's put the price up are people that have already probably pirated it. It's not even yeah. like that they're going to do now. They probably already have. And they're the reason he's putting it up by $2, because if they'd have just paid $6 like everyone else... That's three other people that wouldn't have to pay two dollars more, and it's just a, it's one of those vicious circles, isn't it? The more people that pirate it, the more the game price will go up. But it just didn't sit right with me. People being like that, but I suppose that's the internet, isn't it? That's yeah. just what you get. The, the people that are saying it might not even believe it; they might just want an argument because that seems to be the thing on the internet these days. Say something controversial, and just <laughs> watch the world burn. Uh, so the other thing we were going to mention, which is much more heinous. I believe, I don't know about you, is, so the, there's a new game coming out, which is part of a franchise, isn't it? But I've never played it. Uh, like a Dragon, Infinite Wealth. Is it part of a franchise? Yeah. I think. Yeah, it is. It's part of the Yakuza series. So I thought main... it was, yeah. So they did one, one came out last year, but I think it was just called Like a Dragon. And then mm. obviously, because they did Yakuza up to like Yakuza 9, then they did Judgment, which was a Yakuza spin-off game, but was still all about triads and gangs in Japan. They then did this because they were trying to close down and get away from their stereotyping of just doing 
Yakuza games, and what they've done is they've made a new sort of franchise called Like a Dragon, which again is about Yakuza gangs in Japan. <laughs> and also Majima, who's the main character, Goro Majima from Yakuza, appears in this franchise. So it's like, we've not, you've sort of looked out of your comfort zone at another comfort zone and gone, <laughs> I will just copy that. So what, what Sega have done, which, I mean, I don't want to bring up Sonic Origins again because I feel like I've beaten that horse half to death. But it's it's not a million miles away from what they did with that, is it? And and as a company that I love, Sega, it just really pains me to see them doing stuff like this. But what they've done is, so most RPG games like this, and, and games in general a lot these days, so like Star, uh, Starfield did it recently, will have a new game plus mode. So you finish the main game and it boots you right back to the beginning of the game with usually with a bit more experience or something, isn't it? So you're not coming into it fresh. You're coming in with what you've done in the previous playthrough, but not any of your worldly possessions. So you don't have any money left. You don't have any ships in Starfield or weapons, etc. But you do maintain some of your stats, and things in the New Game Plus tend to be different. So there'll be missions that branch off slightly differently, or there'll be more missions to do, or they'll be harder, or it tends to be that kind of thing. And that's always a part of the game, and it extends game life. You finish it once, you don't want to play through it again exactly the same, but you've got New Game Plus, and it changes things, makes it a bit more difficult, etc. What Sega have decided to do is lock that mode away in the Deluxe and the Ultimate Editions of the game. So if you buy the bog-standard game, you get to the end of it, expecting to play New Game Plus, because in this franchise it's always been an option, you go to play it and it says, no, sorry, you don't get that with this version. Thanks for playing. Done. Or go and upgrade, which is, I think it's 15, 15 and $40 is the price difference to get New Game Plus as well as your other stuff. And it just doesn't feel like it should be something that's locked away behind a paywall. And it just seems really tight to do that, especially in a franchise where it's established that you will get that as part of the base game. Because they've done expansions for the other games, where you pay more and you get more costumes, weapons, whatever, expansions. But New Game Plus has never been that thing. And now to do that partway through a franchise and not really point it out very clearly either. It's very buried away in the, this is what you get. If if you didn't look at the deluxe edition, you wouldn't know that it was an extra. It doesn't say on the standard editions game listing page, by the way, you don't get New Game Plus with this you have to actually have researched it. So I think there'll be a lot of people that buy the base version of the game, get to the end of it and go, right, let's see what New Game Plus has got in store, rubbing their hands together, and then it's just not there. It it comes across, for me particularly, as really tacky on the part of Sega because it's not like you get with DLC where it's an existing product and the developer has gone away, spent another six months making an extra bit of the game for you to play and they are charging you proportionately to get this extra couple of bits of gameplay. It's something that has been picked apart on like a surgeon's table and and they've sort of just had this outline of the game and they've got a scalpel and they've gone, ah, well, do you know what they, do you know what they don't need for 40 quid? We're just going to carve this little piece out and we're just going to, 
extract it from the base game, and then we're going to sell it back to them. So it, it, what they have sold at 40 quid is an incomplete product. And I know we've been through this. God knows how many times with, oh, we'll just patch it in post where they release an unfinished product and they just go, oh, we'll patch it in post, it's fine. This is a whole new level of seditious, really, where they've gone, it's an incomplete product, but it's f***ing deliberately incomplete because we want you <laughs> to pay the extra 15 quid. Just charge them 55 quid for the game. Yeah. Don't pick it apart and then say it's a 40 quid game. Aren't we great when all these other uh, companies are charging you 70 quid for a product that's slightly incomplete because the you know some of it's a bit glitchy and what have you no we've got a complete product for 40 quid but it's not in it's not complete because we're going to sell you an extra like 10 percent of it back to you if you want to carry on playing this game that you thought was a complete product <laughs> see i'd have no issues with it at all if they brought it out for 40 quid and then the deluxe one's 55, like you say, or whatever, and they called it like a dragon, whatever it's called, infinite money or whatever it is, one and done or something like that. And they made it very clear that you're buying this experience and you get one playthrough of it and you can do that playthrough as many times as you want, but nothing will change. But if you want to have replay value in it, you need to buy the deluxe version. If they did that, I'd have no problem with it because then that gives people who don't want New Game Plus the opportunity to buy just the base game, play it once, enjoy it, done. Because I don't often do New Game Plus. I'll get to the end of it and think, right, that's me done. It's very rare that a game grips me to the point where I go, I want to play through that exactly again, but with more or more difficulty. I just don't do it. I enjoy it for the time I play it, and then I stop. So for me, that 40 quid version is probably the best way for me to play it, if they'd been honest and upfront about it. It's the sneakiness of cutting it out. So a lot of the fans will then go, oh, this is great. I'm going to buy this and I've got everything. It's 40 quid. How generous, like you say. They've done it on a cheaper price, blah, blah, blah. And then they get to the end of the game and it goes, right, now give us 15 or another $40, please, if you want the thing you expected it to have in in the first place. And it's that, like you say, it just seems tacky and not something that Sega should be doing. If like an independent developer did it, you could sort of go, oh, well, they're, they're trying to make as much money as they can and they're in the position where they, it will make all the difference to them. Do you know what I mean? But this is Sega. Sega don't need to be doing this kind of thing. And it's what they did with Origins, whether that was planned or or it was by accident. I mean, I don't know how deep it goes into whether it is a breach of like trading standards and I technically could have got my money back because... You've promised something if you buy this more expensive version that you've then never delivered and then charge more for. And it, it just seems dodgy to me. I don't know what it shouldn't be allowed, really. No, and I think as gamers, we have given too much ground. Over the last mm. 10 to 20 years, gamers have seceded far too much ground to gaming companies because without us as consumers, they don't exist. And we are treated like we we don't matter and our money is the only thing that matters about us. And it, it, it started quite slowly and it just sort of crept in with sort of like loot boxes and stuff like that. And slowly but surely, we have given away far too much ground to gaming companies who can just think they can just dictate 
how a what a finished product is. You don't see it with films. And I'm yeah. assuming this is because there aren't massive amounts of trading standards disputes within like the gaming community. There aren't many top high tier cases where the a product has been sold and a gamer has gone, do you know what? No, that's not right. I'm taking you to court for it because it's infringement of whatever. Uh, it's not what you advertised it as. It is very rare that something like that happens. You don't see cinema or film companies saying, right, here's this film. It's the new um, Marvel film. We're, we're, you've got tickets in theatres, $6.99. Or you can be a gold ticket holder for twenty nine ninety nine, and you go, what's the f- difference? And they go, oh, we can't possibly tell you. You'll just have to wait. <laughs> uh, you'll just have to go to the cinema and find out. So you go, and you've got a silver ticket. Your mate's got a gold ticket. You sit down, and halfway through the film, this bloke walks up to you in your seat and goes, excuse me, sir, I can see that you're a silver ticket holder. Would you mind just nipping out into the foyer with me because there's some subplots that we need to show the gold <laughs> ticket holders that you haven't paid privilege for. So you get to come back in in half an hour and uh, <laughs> yeah. watch the end of this film that the gold ticket holders who paid a little bit more will get to see. I know you get bonus content on DVDs. You get bloopers, deleted scenes because of the runtime of a film gets chopped down to sort of accommodate theatre goers not wanting mm. to sit there for four hours. But they don't do it in the cinema. They don't strip apart a film and go, yeah, you only get to see a certain portion of this. And as a general rule as well, they don't go, here's the Blu-ray release of just the film, and then here's one that's 20 quid more that then has all the extras included as well. I know you get the Steelbook versions, but that's more like a display thing, isn't it? And they might have a few more extras snuck on because they're the special editions. But as as a general rule, if you buy a Blu-ray, you get a good portion of extras with it as well. They don't go, oh, no, they're, it's a pound per blooper if you want to have the bloopers added onto this disc. Uh, you want this version. And, yeah, it's just, like you say, we've let them get away with it for so long, and it's just it's ingraining itself into every aspect. Like um, WWE games, I know I've talked about them in the past, but the new one got announced literally today. And there's, as there was last year, four different versions of it. So there's your bog standard, there's, I think, a cross-gen one, which is the one you buy if you want to potentially play it on an Xbox One and then an Xbox Series X and PS4, PS5. There's the deluxe version, which adds in a season pass, and it's claiming some DLC, but you get that if you pre-order anyway. So it's not really exclusive to the, the deluxe version. And I think you might get an extra couple of cards for their online loot box thing that I don't touch with a barge pole. And then there's a WrestleMania Legend Legends of WrestleMania version that is £104 and is digital only, so you don't even get a disc for that. And you get the season pass, you get the, the thing for pre-ordering, you get three-day early access, and you get this WrestleMania pack, which they've told you what's meant to be in it, but they won't tell you when it's coming out. There's like an asterisk, and it says, please bear in mind this... Basically, this won't be on launch, and we don't know when it will be, but this you will at some point get this. And wrestling games used to have a special edition that was amazing. I've talked about this before. You got, like, little figures, or you got... I mean, one of them came with a full Mattel John Cena action figure that's exclusive to that game, so that was always going to 
go up in value. Some of them came with Funko, some of them came with Hall of Fame mock-up rings, bits of the canvas, bits of people's outfits, autographed little placards in perspex. And now you're paying over 100 quid for something you can't even hold in your hand. And that's because people have let it happen. And it, I'd love them to do a big physical release with all cool stuff. I mean, South Park are doing it. I don't know if you saw the South Park Snow Day, is it called, that's coming yeah. out soon. I pre-ordered the special edition and yeah, it was like 150 odd quid, I think it was. But you get the game, you get a hat, you get a toilet roll holder of Cartman that speaks, which is bizarre to say the least but you get all the in-game content you get a couple of other physical rewards and that for me is much better value than spending 50 quid less on a wrestling game that you can't even hold and and the WWE games are my one maybe one of two every year guaranteed purchases and this year I don't even want to buy the special edition but I'm gonna do because I want the three-day early access so I'm paying 60 quid more to get the three-day early access and i will use the season pass and it will come in but i reckon you can get the season pass for nearly the equivalent of what you're paying i don't think they're doing you any sort of deal by getting this bundle in inverted commas and and it just everyone seems to be following suit and i do like having digital versions of some games so i don't have to keep getting up and swapping discs out but for for me personally the wrestling the, the WWE games were the one big purchase every year that came with all this cool stuff, and now I don't have that anymore. So um, it's probably personally that I'm a bit miffed about it, but it just doesn't seem as alluring, and the price hasn't really come down much either. Yeah, I think that's probably more insulting. If the overall price was cheaper, you'd probably forgive it a little bit more, but the fact that games are exponentially getting more and more expensive and were expected to pay more and more for intact versions of the game. I mean, you wouldn't go into a bookshop and see a book that you wanted with, like, two versions, one copy six ninety nine, one copy fourteen ninety nine, and you go up to the bloke behind the counter and go, what's the difference? And he goes, oh, right, well, that one on the um, on the left, the six ninety nine one, is one, and we've j- literally just gone through and we've stripped out 14 chapters at random <laughs> so we've just pulled 14 chapters out of it but if you want the intact version you're gonna have to pay an extra eight quid and then you can have the intact book right well f- thank you for that but do you know what yeah. i think i'll give it a miss for both <laughs> or or in six months time you can give us an extra fiver and we'll give you those 14 chapters back when we've decided that they're not as valuable anymore it just yeah. it, it i don't know i know we talked about it a lot and We'll probably talk about it again because something else will come up that does the same thing. And it just another th- and I don't want to get into this now because we're already over an hour. But another thing that annoys me as well is now digital copies of games used to be cheaper than physical ones because you weren't getting anything. You were getting a download. You weren't getting a physical copy that you could resell. But now it seems to be on par or even sometimes a little bit more expensive because of the convenience of it. But it can't cost them that much to do it, surely. Because they haven't got the pressing costs, they haven't got the shipping costs, they haven't got all the manufacturing, the the cover like creation. I don't get it. I don't get why a digital version of something would ever be more expensive than a physical one, other than because they know they can, because people would rather pay for that convenience. Yeah, and it, and it is that. It's that instant, I want it now thing mm. that that society has moved towards but even when you see sort of physical versions of games in stores 
and then you look at the same digital version on the PlayStation Store, for example, same release week, what have you, it'll be forty nine ninety nine in store. It'll be fifty nine ninety nine on the PlayStation Store. But then they'll also have a digital deluxe version that you can't get anywhere else. Mm. But you can't buy the DLC or you can't buy the additional content for like an extra tenner. So if you wanted to, you could buy the physical copy and then get that extra bit of content that the digital deluxe version has for an extra tenner. Can't do that. You have to spend the $89.99 for what amounts to two outfits and a soundtrack (laughs) that you're never going to listen to. And it's like, (laughs) why? What? What? How? How can you... How does your business model shape up so that this is your viable option to make money out of people? And granted, it's got to work because otherwise they won't yeah. keep doing it. But it's the same with this whole the whole live service thing that was started by like Destiny, probably. Mm. And that has died a horrific death in 2023 because, I mean, Suicide Squad was is sort of like the last bastion of that live service uh, games as a live service in inverted commas and it's just flopped and it, it, yeah. no other game that has been scheduled to come out this year has posited itself as a live service because they know the model doesn't work um, and I just think that is going to die a death but I think they're just going to find more and more insidious ways of crowbarring money out your wallet because their original model of, oh, just keep harpooning them for money or get them to keep paying out for loot boxes because they need that hit. It hasn't worked. And I think as well, it, it's it's worth mentioning that, say if we went, if I went to my parents now and dug out my old GameCube and my selection of discs, I could sit there playing that all night. If in 20 years' time I dug out my old Xbox 360 and booted it up and thought, oh, I want to play, I don't know, I want to play Burnout that I had back then, but the hard drive in it's buggered, so I, I'll, I'll have to download it again. Oh, the service is no longer available. So I can no longer ever play that game now, whereas if I had a disc version of it, pop the disc in, and it, it's still as good as it was 20 years ago. So I think that's the thing that worries me about all this moving to online and digital-only stuff, is that they can just snap their fingers and go, right, you're not allowed that anymore, and then unless you've got a copy of it downloaded somewhere on something, the 40 quid you spent on that, you have literally nothing to show for it anymore. And it's it's that power that I don't like that they... And they've done it with games where they've lost the license and stuff, haven't they? Like I think it was Deadpool. You couldn't get the Deadpool game for 360 for love and money unless it was on disc. Even if you'd paid for it on the Xbox store, if you deleted it off your console or your hard drive went kaput, you couldn't ever get it back. And it's like, but I've paid to have that. And I know it's in the terms yeah. and conditions that it's you pay for it and you're sort of leasing it off as, for as long as we decide you're allowed to have it. But even that I don't agree with. I don't like that. And I know that they say that's technically the case with disc games, isn't it? That at any point they could come to you and say, send me that copy of Grand Theft Auto back. We want them all back now. And technically you'd have to comply with it. But I, it just never would happen. Whereas in the no. digital world, it's so easy for them to just go, turn the tap off, no more of that game for you or for anyone else. And um, Like the PT demo, for example, if that had been put out on discs, people would still be playing it now. 
but because it was a, a digital demo that they took off the store, it's like rocking on in it. You can't get it from anywhere now. So yeah, I I just I, I get the feeling in a couple of years, if if the trend carries on, we're just gonna see executives from like Sony walk on stage at E three and go, I am imagining a game in my head. It's really, <laughs> really good. Give us cash. And they're just going to expect you to just go, oh my God, he's a genius. Here you go, here's the money. And then just never deliver on it. That's if E3 ever happens again. Because well, that's, yeah, that's true. That's up in the air as well, isn't it? But now Nintendo Re- Direct have just ruined the the whole concept of E3. Yeah. But I think we've we've depressed people enough for today because it's <laughs> it's it's been another really ranty, miserable episode. I promise we'll do something... <laughs> We'll do something cheery. Hopefully the next episode we record will be about our visit to the Game On exhibition and we'll have positive, lovely things to say instead and then maybe just throw a, a game in there that we've got. I, I think there is one of the games on the list there, actually, so we might be able to tie it into that. But yeah, we'll we'll call it for tonight. I'm not sure when this will come out, but hopefully it's not too long after our Shenmue episode, which has gotten rave reviews as, as our episodes go, because everyone loves it when we just moan about things, evidently. So you've probably had a hoot in this episode. But <laughs> I will do the Patreon shout-outs now. So I will say thank you to all our patrons because we really do appreciate what you do. Our bills have increased over Christmas by a couple of quid. So it really does it really does help us keep going because things are getting, as, as the way the world is, more and more expensive all the time. So I will say thank you to Harry Flynn in the Couple of Coins tier. And I will say thank you to the Sweaty Llama and Ric Flair in the Bucket Kickers tier. We still don't really know what's happening <laughs> in in the Avatarish tier because Patreon doesn't really tell us whether or not Atropos is subscribed. But it does keep taking the money. So as long as it keeps doing that, I will keep giving him the shout out. So thank you to Atropos as well for supporting us. If you would like to support us on Patreon, it would be absolutely amazing. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash bucketlistgamers and signing up to one of the tiers on there. Anything over uh, Bucket Kicker and over. I will get that sentence right one day. Anything Bucket Kicker and over. We'll get you access to our early content on there, which there is an episode currently on there that isn't available anywhere else, which is about glitches and Easter eggs in games. And I put Eddie to the test to see whether he can tell whether it's something I've completely made up or whether it's something (laughs) that actually took place in a video game. And there is a flamboyant use of the word which everyone seems to be enjoying that you won't hear when (laughs) when it gets onto Spotify. I can guarantee you of that. So yeah, if you want, if you're curious about that, I want to check it out. Patreon.com/slash/bucketlistgamers. Chuck us a couple of quid, feel good about yourself, and listen to a special episode on there. And with that said, unless you have got anything else to cover, Mister Eddie. No, I just think it's funny that we're going to beep the word you've just said out, so people aren't <laughs> going to know what it is that they're going to get I... as an exclusive word. I don't know. I think because. <laughs> I think because I've not said it in the context of how I've said it on Patreon, I might be able to leave that one in, but we'll see. I'll um, I'll decide when I get to it. Also, a little bit of feedback from last week's episode. I don't think people liked me using the sonic ring noise instead of a beep, so we will be going back okay. to the beep for this episode, which you'll have probably noticed by this point, because Eddie's been swearing like a sailor throughout the course <laughs> of it. But yeah, with with nothing else to cover, I will say that's goodbye from me. 
Goodbye from me.